Thank you so much for having us this morning. My name is Samuel Hughes, and uh, I was not born in Lowndes County, but uh, I moved here when I was in fourth grade to the great metropolitan city of Hayhira, and have lived there, uh, lived there all throughout high school, graduated Lowndes, started, had a stint in two years at VSU, and then uh, went on to seminary in Kentucky. And during my time in seminary, God called me as I met my wonderful wife there to Ukraine. And we um, live in a very wonderful country, country of instability, a country that is currently at war, though despite the news doesn't say anything about it here in, in America, it is still a very unstable place with the threat of Russia. However, people still live semi-normal lives. Uh, it depends on how you define normal. But God has blessed us. Uh, with the opportunity to make disciples and to love people. And uh, I could talk a lot about it. And Wednesday, I'm going to talk in more detail, but I just want to kind of uh, show you a video uh, just to give a little context about it. We are with a group called Youth Ministry International. And I, uh, as a job, you could say I'm a professor of youth ministry at seminaries throughout Ukraine. And so I train young youth pastors, youth workers in local churches so that they know how to reach young people. And uh, that works itself out in many ways. But uh, I'll just let uh, the video, and then after that, I'll, I'll just close this out. Ukraine has always been a country of instability. The recent revolution and the ongoing war to this day provide this sense of instability. Young people are looking to the West to find happiness, to find joy, they, they even, and they see, the, they see the West with the 3G telephone. So uh, who is the best person to take the message that true happiness is only found in Jesus Christ? And the best people to take that message of the gospel is uh, the youth workers and youth pastors in local churches. And the youth pastors in local churches need training. We have partnerships with Bible college and seminaries in order to train uh, these, these soldiers of Jesus Christ so that they can be missionaries to the youth culture. And so, uh, let's meet our team here in Ukraine. One of the greatest challenges we have is human resources and more specifically, national professors. Well, four years ago, we only had two, and now God has provided six professors for us because they have, they have been our graduates at Keith Theological Seminary, and now they have a master's degree and they're able to teach. And so we spent the last four years uh, training uh, myself, learning with them how to be seminary professors of youth ministry. And so together, we teach. And I want to just share with you one of these guys, Misha, Misha Fair. I'm a graduate of KTS, studied in a youth ministry. I've been a pastor applying everything I learned, and now I'm a professor teaching youth leaders. I'm so thankful to Sam and Vasa because they taught me how to be a professor, and now I'm able to share what I learned. Нещодавно ми святкували 15-річчя програми молодіжного служіння в Київській богослівській семінарії. Хочу дуже подякувати працівникам і служителям Youth Ministry International за те, що ви почали це служіння. За період моєї праці в Київській богослівській семінарії в якості директора програми із числа наших студентів почали з'являтися нові викладачі. Я дуже радий бути частиною команди посвячених служителів. God has provided professors. Now our professors would like more time. More time to teach, more time to multiply themselves. Uh, at YMI, we have a value of having indigenous training. Uh, but we also know that seminaries and Bible colleges in Ukraine rarely provide financial support for their professors. And so therefore, our guys have got together and they have decided to create what they call CYMU. But I will let Misha tell you more about that. CYMU was started so we can raise support like missionaries from Ukraine. We have partnership with YMI and we believe that it will free us to train more youth workers and produce our own materials in youth ministry for Ukraine. 
This also will help us to expand youth ministry in the whole Eurasia. Me and Radek are seeking to find partners in ministry for just that purpose. To expand, it must be a team effort. We once had only two programs, and now we have four programs of youth ministry in Ukraine. Well, one year ago, we started a new program at Tavrisi Christian, Christian Institute with, from one of our graduates of, uh, from Kiev. Uh, coming fall, we'll be adding another bachelor's degree youth ministry in a, in a town in the east. I want you to meet the new director of that program. I am so excited to start the new bachelor program in Kremenchuk Evangelical Seminary uh, next fall as the director. I want to impact youth leaders in Ukraine by the word of God. My role on our team is support and expansion. Last several years, we took trips to Georgia and to Kazakhstan to build a relationship with local youth leaders and look at the possibility of starting new programs there. I pray over the next five years, we'll begin a new program of youth ministry in, in somewhere in Central Asia. Our family has grown. We have grown in our walk with the Lords over the past three years, and our ministry has grown. We want to thank you all for your love and your prayers and your support for us, our family, and our ministry. This is Team YMI Eurasia, reaching young people for the gospel of Jesus Christ through training trainers in youth ministry. Join the team. That, that is my team. I uh, look forward to sharing with you more on Wednesday what God is doing. Ukraine is a very interesting country that God could use Ukrainians to reach the rest of the Russian-speaking world with the gospel. There are more Russian speakers in the world than there are Americans. And so uh, we have a great potential with uh, what God is doing there. And I would love to share with, you, uh, share with you about that more on Wednesday. I just want to kind of close out the time, and I will uh, just ask us to pray. And I'll pray in Russian just to get a sense of, my church service in Ukraine, and I'm really glad to worship with you in English, all right? So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Наш Бог, спасибо за то, что ты дал нам все необходимое для жизни в Иисусе Христе. И мы нуждаемся в твоей присутствии, мы нуждаемся в том, что ты даешь нам мудрость, как мы можем распространять Евангелие здесь в Америке, в Волдосте и в краю земли. Мы просим, чтобы твое присутствие будет с нами сейчас, когда мы еще будем слышать твое слово. Тоже мы молимся за Джордане и тоже за Сару, чтобы ты благословил их в Лебаноне. Мы любим тебя, наш Господь, наш Спаситель Иисуса Христа. Аминь. 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 Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. At this time, when our kids, yeah, they're going, they're going. Kids are going to Kids Connection, and uh, we're excited for you guys. We love you dearly, and our children are going to hear the good news of Jesus, and they're going to have some more songs and, and games over across the way as well. If you're here for the first time and your child would like to go, we have uh, a great support group over there of leaders, and they will be well supervised. They'll be in the fellowship hall over there. So thank you so much for all of you who pour into our children, and uh, we're excited uh, that they get to hear the good news of Jesus as well. Um, thank you, Sam, so much for sharing. Sam disappeared. I think he went to the back. Where there's, hey, buddy, thank you so much. And uh, man, that was awesome to hear someone pray in a different language. I always love um, when we go over to or down to Guatemala or Nicaragua and we have that joy as well. It, it reminds me that Christianity is much greater uh, than just the United States. And praise God for that. Amen. And so we are uh, going to... Uh, continue on this morning in, in an interview format, and I thought that this would be a, a little fun to do, and y'all uh, know, many of you know Jordan and uh, Sarah, and so uh, I just wanted him to be able to come and share while they're home stateside uh, what God is going to do in their lives next, what he is all, already doing and preparing, and so um, I'm going to ask Jordan if you'll come on up, and could you show your encouragement for Jordan at this time? 
How do you like the tables? Good? That work? You like them? All right, good. Um, so Jordan, tell us just a little bit about what's been going on in the last two years of your life. And uh, many of us know, but there, there are several here this morning who do not know. So just fill us in on what's been going on the last two years. Yeah, um, so the last two years, we've been living in Kampala, Uganda. Um, we moved there um, to teach and train pastors um, in the East African region. Um, so I've been teaching at a university seminary, uh, mainly working with pastors from rural areas, um, teaching theology and equipping them to um, go back to their countries, go back um, to the places they live to start churches and disciple new um, pastors and Christian um, leaders. Awesome. And so it's been a good, faithful work. I know in, in the seminary training, and one, I remember us having a conversation just when you came back last year, um, you know, when you, when you hear gospel and, and, and you meet with pastors and, and they're coming, I mean, they were very poorly trained before. And so you were able to have a great work there and just the, the steady training. Um, and so you, you've seen fruit from that as well, these guys yeah. going out. Yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was just eye-opening um, being able to work with a lot of these pastors. Um, guys who, some of them, 40, 50 years old, been pastoring for their entire lives. Um, I mean, most of them are farmers to earn an income, but leading their churches on Sundays um, who had zero training. Many of them didn't own their own Bible. Um, so to be able to come and sit and learn about theology and learn a lot of the things we, you know, just know from Sunday school class, from sitting in church every Sunday was, it was really eye-opening. Um, we got to start, um, me and one of the pastors, uh, Moses, who was in the school I was teaching at, I was able to help him start a, a new training center up in northern Uganda, which is a really rural area, um, you know, think mud hut, dollar a day type. Um, and, you know, we, were, we would go up there and do weekend trainings, and, and pastors would come 20, 30 miles on bikes just to hear, you know, three, four hours of teaching. So um, it was a great experience, and just to, got to see how God's using these guys we get to pour into to then go out and replicate that in other parts of East Africa. Amen. Amen. And, and many times we, what's on our heart, you can uh, say, okay, this is the vision. This is where we're going. And, and we're probably going to be here a long time doing this long, steady ministry. And it's greatly needed there. But then in the midst of that, what begins to happen all of a sudden is something begins to churn in your heart. And there's a vision that comes into play. And, and I know this happened with you and Sarah, and y'all began to talk with some folks. And, and now God is directing you to a different part of the world, which is going to be very exciting uh, for you to share. So I, I think it was a around last fall uh, that you let us in on it. And, and we kind of had some quick questions for you on that, which we'll address in just a moment. But uh, tell us, where, where's God leading you now and, and the work that's to be done? Yeah, so um, about a year in, um, I'm teaching, I'm training pastors, I'm getting to work with these guys who um, had come from seven or eight countries in East Africa. Um, they were coming for many of them just one year of training and then they were going out and starting new churches, um, planning new churches, going to difficult areas. Um, and again, like Brian said, we, we moved to Uganda thinking, you know, um, this could be it. This could be our long-term thing. Um, and we loved our time in Uganda. But about a year in, um, God started stirring. And, and through these relationships with these pastors, God kind of started churning in our hearts and creating this desire to kind of do what they were doing. So instead of staying in... Kampala and teaching and training pastors, um, we felt God's call to actually go plan a church, um, to go to an area that isn't Christian um, in, in need of the gospel um, and, and kind of begin a new work there. So um, we reached out to a church in Dubai um, who, uh, through some connections, um, we knew they, they had this big vision for planting churches in the Middle East, um, predominantly in the 1040 window. Um, and we were, we were really thinking it'd be a couple years down the, down the line, um, but I, I called him, got in touch with him, and he said, hey, come see me. Um, I said, well, just keep us in mind, and he's like, well, let's come up and talk. So we, I went to Dubai, um, got to talking, and it was just really evident that um, they had been training up a pastor for three years to move to Beirut, Lebanon, to plant a church, and they had been praying for another um, pastor to come alongside him, and just with my skill set and his skill set, it was something they had been praying for. Um, and so we were a little taken aback because it was a lot sooner than we were thinking. Um, but again, it was just kind of green light after green light for about six months. And um, 
finally we, you know, just kind of committed to it. We talked with, um, you know, the guys here and some of our other um, mission agency contacts and kind of got the blessing and um, committed um, about eight months ago to move to uh, Beirut to plant a new church. Yeah, that's Beirut, Lebanon, which you're going to have to show us um, the map where that would be. Do we have that? Yeah, there we go. Yeah, so um, it's the little country that's blue that is engulfed by Syria and Israel's to the south. Um, so it's right in the heart of the Middle East. Um, it's, a, it's on the Mediterranean. It's a really important port city for the Middle East. Um, and really, I think what has me so excited is being able to plant a church in a country that um, through their research and, and discussing with people in country, they would say there's not one gospel-centered church in the entire country um, of 8 million people. Um, so getting to plant a church in an area that drastically needs a church, but then also with the vision down the road um, in two or three years, Lord willing to be able to set up a training center to kind of do what I was doing in Uganda. So we'll plant a church and then hopefully be able to set up a training center to where we can start training um, Middle Eastern pastors. Um, there's 2 million Syrians in Lebanon. Um, so there's a lot of Syrians who eventually are going to go back to Syria when the, the conflict stops. Um, and Syria is a place um, we couldn't get into. So being able to train and pour into guys who are going to then go into areas that we couldn't um, has us really excited. Um, yeah, so. And, and you mentioned this phrase and, and just a minute ago for those in the room and, and probably many in the room do not know. Explain the 1040 window to us. Yeah, so the, the 1040 window is it's really the strip um, between the 10th and 40th degree longitudes that run North Africa, Middle East, and into Pakistan, Afghanistan, China. Um, and they would say that 95% of people in that zone are unreached. So they have no access to the gospel. Um, so they'll be born, live, and die, and never know a Christian, never have access to a church, um, that sort of thing. So it's... it's it's the biggest chunk of unreached people left um, in the world. Um, and we think Lebanon, and particularly Beirut, could be a strategic city um, to plant gospel-centered churches to eventually impact um, a lot of that area in the Middle East. Yeah, absolutely. And so when we hear church plant, I mean, you may think uh, storefront, uh, opening up a storefront in a shopping mall um, right. that no longer has a gap, okay? And, uh, and then maybe uh, having some really good coffee and maybe a guy wearing skinny jeans, right? So, I mean, we, we kind of have an idea of what modern day church planting may be all about in, uh, in, a, in a pick. And there's a lot of good work being done here in North America. But what, what does a church plant look like in Beirut uh, in, in today's time? Yeah. Uh, well, first off, I'll say my wife won't let me wear skinny jeans. So. That's a shame. I think you could, you would be good with them. a shame. I think um, so. So for us in... Um, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Didn't expect to talk about skinny jeans up here, huh? No. Yeah. So um, for us in Beirut, the church plant right now, um, Marwan Abu Zaloff is the pastor who I'm partnering with. Um, a little bit about him. He was, his father's Lebanese, his mother's Iraqi. He was born in Kuwait. Um, he was living in Kuwait, went on vacation in San Diego when he was seven, and that's when the Gulf War started. So he grew up in San Diego. Um, so full Arab, full Arabic-speaking California guy. So you, if you didn't see him and you talked with him, you'd be like, this is a Cali guy. And then you see him and he's full Arab. Um, so he has a really unique mix to be able to minister in that setting. Um, and so right now they've been there about eight months. They started a Bible study. Um, and right now they have anywhere from five to 20 people kind of attending. So when we say church plant, it's not a building. It's not, you know, we have a team of a hundred or 200 people right now. It's him and his wife. Um, and their uh, little boy, and we're going to be joining them, and it's going to start off just a Bible study in the home, um, and we pray in the next 12 months we can kind of develop a core team, you know, 20, 25 people, um, and, and then look for a spot to start an actual Sunday morning church gathering. So, And so that, that's kind of going along the next question I was going to ask, just about the timeline, and I mean expectations here. Um, 
So often when we think about the local church and we think about the local church here in the United States, that it's successful, that if it starts and when maybe within two years that it doubles in size and then it's really successful if it triples in size. And, right. and then we, we look at the numbers of that local church and we say, obviously it's successful due to the amount of people that are there. Um, but tell us the approach that you guys have, kind of the time frame, timeline of what you're looking at over the next two, five years. Yeah. Yeah, so um, success obviously looks different there than in America with regards to church attendance and numbers. Um, but, you know, if, 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 if we're able to develop a core team in the next 6 to 12 months, start a church, I mean, you're looking at if you can get 50, 75 people, that's a big church. Um, and probably at that point we'd be looking to start training um, some local Lebanese, local Syrians, um, Middle Easterners to then plan another church. So really the model we're taking is we're going to be a church that plants churches. Um, so we're not going to try to, you know, have a thousand member church and get a big building. It's going to be um, develop a core team, you know, disciple some new Christians, Lord willing, and then start planting new churches around the city. So. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and ask, you know, the question, the big elephant in the room, is it safe? Okay. Cause we see that it's right there right. Uh, by Iraq, Syria. We, we've watched the news. We've seen things that have happened, most especially in Syria, are just heartbreaking over the last couple of years. And there you are right beside it. And so we, we are very protective of our children here uh, in the States. I mean, we have many different methods in which we protect them and, and have them to be healthy and I, and I know for you, and we've talked about this already, but that people will look at you and go, okay, we get that you love Jesus. Okay, we get that the world needs the gospel. But Jordan, you're taking your family uh, to this area. And so speak to that. Um, and, you know, it's where our doubts may be, you know, our concerns may be. We know that you've already addressed that as a family. And so tell us how, how God's been working in your heart as you've worked through that and, and then a little more about those concerns. Right. Yeah, so the is it safe question is relative, um, obviously. Um, so when we kind of committed um, about eight months ago to doing this, to going, we, we kind of slowly trickled kind of drip the information on our parents um, to kind of let that be received slowly. Um, but, you know, it's obviously in a, a hot zone right beside Syria. I mean, the, all of Lebanon's it's 100 miles by 50 miles. So to think at any one point you're 45 miles, I mean, you're, you know, from here to, you know, Tifton, right above Tifton from Syria, you know, where the battle is. And then you're, you know, probably 80, 70, 80 miles from Israel, um, which everyone in the Middle East disdains Israel. Um, so you are in the vicinity of everything. Now, we, we've been to Beirut twice. Um, we feel safe in the city. Um, they have, a, they have a, a pretty big military, and they really promote peace because they want to be seen from the West as a safe country to do business with because they're right on the Mediterranean. Um, there's a big shipping industry. So it's in Lebanon's best interest to preserve safety. Um, so that's something going for us. Um, but it is, you know, close to war. Um, and we're okay with that. We feel um, that God has us there and is sovereign. And, um, you know, he's building a team and doing a work. So we're, we're trusting in that. And uh, we'll, have a short, we'll have a short pull out um, if, if something escalates. Um, we'll have a plan in place to get out as quick as we can. But... Um, through our two visits, God's kind of calmed our fears somewhat, um, and, you know, we feel confident going there and trying to stay in the middle of God's will, so. Yeah, I definitely think it was enlightening when you began to share kind of the context of where you would be and, and the diversity of people even in that area. Um, I love that it, it, it serves as a hub and that people who would be able to go back to Syria um, we'd be able to take back the gospel because we know that's what's going to bring, bring true healing. Uh, we know that buildings are crushed. We know that families are separated, lives lost. But the, the only true healing, the only true hope we have in this world that is sustaining is, is the gospel work. And so um, we know that that's on your heart and, and that's on your mind as you go. And, um, you know, thank you for, for kind of sharing a little bit more on that. Tell, tell us, 
Really, the, the context of the city. I mean, what, what did, what's it look like? Um, you know, we, we think of uh, Lebanon, we think of Syria, we think, of, okay, I'm thinking some mud buildings. I mean, they're built, and then we know there's some new buildings that have been built, okay, bigger cities. So tell us kind of the area. Yeah, so Lebanon's, um, it's really, really unique. It, it has three of the 10 oldest cities in the world. So um, Sidon, Tyre, um, Biblos and actually Beirut um, are, all, are all five to six thousand years old and older. Um, two of the cities mentioned in the in the Bible, um, so it's really where a lot of this stuff started. You know, two and three thousand years ago, um, Beirut is an urban city, so it, it's very much a big city. So you know, it's a drastic difference from being in Uganda. Um, so think New York, um, but not as advanced and nice. Um, So it's urban. um, And then it's a really unique collection of people. So the French controlled it through the 60s. So if if you're walking the streets in Beirut, um, you're going to find people who speak Arabic, French, and English. And many of them kind of combine those languages as they're speaking, which um, from someone from South Georgia who, you know, barely speaks English, what people say at (laughs) least, um, it may be a little (laughs) difficult for a little bit, but um, I will grasp it eventually. Um, so yeah, it's, and it has a European feel um, because of the French influence. So don't think Saudi Arabia, think more Greece. Um, if, if you took all the people out and walked the streets, you'd, you'd probably think you're in a really old European city. Um, so it, it's just a really unique kind of collection of culture and history um, in Lebanon. Yeah, so very good. And so I guess you kind of explained one question I was going to say. So if you're not wearing skinny jeans, then you would uh, not be wearing a robe. You would not be having a head wrap. I mean, Sarah's, you know, going to be able to wear a normal day wear. I mean, just to the day to day for you guys, culturally, how does that change or does it remain the same? Yeah, not too much. So it's, uh, again, it's more of a Western feel. So um, even the Muslims there, um, the women will wear hijabs, but they're not full garb and the men will dress um, in Western clothing. So they're not wearing, you know, the white tunics. Um, There are some, but the majority don't. Um, and then language, that, that's another thing. Um, it's our goal when we start, we're gonna, we are going to try to learn Arabic um, uh, for just ministering purposes because when you can speak to someone in their heart language, um, it just opens up doors. Um, so that's, that's one of our goals to learn Arabic. But, yeah, the day-to-day will feel normal. Um, we'll get to dress pretty normal, and mm-hmm. um, we will stand out because there's not many um, Caucasians in the country. Um, but and then so ones blonde hair, blue eyes. We'll exactly. kind of yeah. Okay, yeah, I may stand out a little, but gotcha. Um. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, right now we we have a brother in in Pakistan uh, serving in the military. Mike Root. He's watching. Well, not a lot, but he will be. So he's going to watch on that camera right there. Hey, Mike. And uh, so he's faithfully sharing the gospel. And uh, one of the things we, we ask him is, hey, man, is it dangerous as, as you're sharing? You know, and, and we do. We jump to that. Is it dangerous? Is it safe? And I think what this does for us today, and even me having to ask these questions, is that such a concern for us? Mm. Uh, we, we really much love our lives. Um, and so uh, the dying to self daily, taking up the cross and following Jesus is our call, whether we're here or you're in Beirut or whether you're in Ukraine. Um, so when it comes to sharing the gospel, is this something that would take place on the streets? Is this something that would uh, be better suited for having someone in your home or meeting at uh, a restaurant and kind of in the corner? I mean, what's the approach to sharing the gospel, just the practical applications of that day to day? Yes. So, and and that's one of the reasons Lebanon is going to be a strategic country for reaching, reaching the Middle East. Um, from Lebanon's government stance, they say there is freedom of religion. So it's not illegal um, to be a Christian, and it's not illegal to share the gospel. Um, So with that said, you know, the majority is Muslim, so that's the stance of the government. So obviously the people may have different views, but um, you can, you know, share the gospel. You can openly have a church service. Um, You know, one of the unique aspects of Beirut is the largest university in the Middle East is in Beirut. Um, So there's students coming from all over the Middle East, um, the, the, the top medical schools in Beirut. So you're really getting people from all over the Middle East into the city. Um, it's also seen as kind of one of the top travel destinations for Middle Easterners because it's on the Mediterranean Sea. It's beautiful. Um, so there's going to be a huge collection of people there. And, and because it's not 
illegal from government stance to share the gospel, we, we will be able to um, kind of openly discuss. I mean, there'll be strategic ways and there'll be things we don't do um, because there are, I mean, there are militant Islamic groups in Lebanon. I mean, southern Lebanon is controlled by Hezbollah. Um, there's ISIS groups in northern Lebanon. So, I mean, they're around, so you're not going to just, you know, go out with a sign and that sort of thing with a banner and walk the streets. But um, I think doing it strategically, um, you know, that's the plan. Yeah, so. yeah. Amen. Well, um, kind of two more questions maybe to, to close up here. How can we be praying for you guys as a church? Things that you've mentioned. Yeah, I think we've, we've talked a lot about the prayer requests or kind of around them. Um, probably the biggest one is just the transition. Um, I mean, we loved our time in Uganda. Um, we hated leaving, and we were excited what God's taking us to and uh, what he's going to do. Um, but it was difficult leaving Uganda. So just the transition from Uganda, which was a really rural setting, to an urban setting um, with a different people group, um, you know, that transition, and then primarily for our children, um, you know, they're going to be in international school. Um, so, you know, most of their friends are going to be Lebanese and Middle Eastern, um, which is, I think, really exciting. Um, but just the transition for them, because they, there were a lot of expat Americans in Kampala that we were friends with, and that's going to be less so um, in Beirut. So uh, just the transition for the family, for the children. Um, second, probably language acquisition. Um, like I said, um, you know, in, in seminary, when we were in Hebrew, um, I barely made it through Hebrew, but all <laughs> the too. really, all my really smart friends would, you know, the, the professor would say, who wants to read this verse in Hebrew? And all my friends would be like, Jordan wants to. And I'm like, no, Jordan doesn't. <laughs> so they did that because they wanted to hear the Southern draw in Hebrew and I butchered it every time. Um, so just language acquisition is going to be a big prayer request. I mean, it's going to be a two or three year process, um, but that we would stay faithful um, knowing that learning the language will pay dividends down the road, you know, 10, 15 years, hopefully. Um, third prayer request would be that we can build relationships. So church planning, it's not like we're throwing up a sign and we're going to have people from other churches kind of say, oh, let's go try it out. I mean, there are no other churches. So it's really going to be meeting people, you know, at the kids' school, at the local coffee shop, at the university, and just developing relationships, which takes time. Um, so just that God would give us a few key relationships who they could then, you know, want to invite and share and spread. Um, that'd be the third. And then uh, financial partners. Um, we, we are here this summer to uh, try to raise some more financial partners. Um, we're fully supported by Perimeter and our friends and family. Um, so we are looking for 15 to 20 new kind of monthly partners. So that, that's a need that, um, you know, God's been faithful the past two years. So we know he's going to... Um, provide but um yeah i'd say those are Amen. four pretty big ones yeah so. thanks for sharing that yeah. and um you know jordan and sam are going to be around afterwards um and we'll let's just say up up front here where you guys can come and talk with them and as as god so moves in your heart and maybe it's not even during this service but as you're leaving here and you begin to think about these things um, you are so stirred that you want to come along and, and offer support. And so they'll be able to pass out cards and information. And again, on Wednesday night, we'll have that available. Um, but thank you so much for, for sharing it. And before you step down, I just, what would you, how would you challenge us, Jordan? Um, you know, God calls some to, to be on mission to go, others to go here locally. And so as we're on go here locally, how would you challenge your, your, your home church? Yeah, um, you know, I would just say, you know, have, I know Brian talked about last week, you know, your heart for the city, um, and man, that's such a strong need, um, and then, you know, I would say just have a heart for the nations, um, you know, the stats and the numbers are big, <clears throat> um, they say there's, you know, 7 billion people in the world, and, you know, f 3 billion are unreached, so that's 40% um, have no access to the gospel um, if they wanted access, um, so it's a lot of people out there that, um, you know, we should be praying for, praying for missionaries working in those areas. Um, you know, and then another stat that really hit me when I read it the last few weeks, but 84% of Muslim, Hindu, and Buddhists don't even know a Christian. Um, and they're, they're those people in Valdosta. So it's, you know, developing relationships um, and just opening yourself up to talk to people, um, to befriend them, you know, to eventually get to the gospel. So, I, you know, as you're thinking about the city, also think about the nations. So yeah. I'd say that's yeah. it.
Good. Brother, thank you so much. Can we put our hands together and encourage our brother? Thank you. Good job. Good job. Thank you so much. And again, they'll be up here um, at the end of this service, and, and you'll want to meet them, especially if you've never met them. They are uh, very much as genuine as they come across here on stage. They are uh, one-on-one. And so thank you guys. I appreciate your testimony. I'm just going to share for a few minutes here uh, something that I believe is very important for us to address as a local church. And uh, things uh, have escalated quickly in a town called Charlottesville, Virginia, um, where over the weekend there was a white supremacist march uh, that took place. And now I will say that it's pretty fresh. Uh, there's still maybe a lot of details uh, to come about of what happened over the weekend. Um, but one thing that I that was burning on my heart, and I had a, a dear brother in Christ who last night texted me and and uh, gave me some good information as well, uh, just showing support and saying, hey, you know, we as a local church, we need to uh, bring awareness to this and, and how this is wrong. And it's that when we look to the gospel, What we learn is that where we come from, where we live currently, the color of our skin, whether we're male or female, does not bring greater value to who we are as a person. And when we, as citizens of the United States of America, say we're extremely rich, I think we say that often and we don't realize just how rich we are. But also, I do think that growing up in this country, there have been many things that I've taken for granted, and many things that I've never had to deal with that others have. And so I don't want to stand before you today and say that what's happened in Charlottesville, Virginia, is just a passing thing. Think when you see riots and when you see marches like this, it ought to stir something within our hearts. And if it doesn't, then I think there's something wrong. I think there's something wrong that we as the church, when we see behavior like what's happened over the weekend, and we kind of look at it as just regular news and pass on to think that, well, that was something that was back in the day. It's not a serious issue today. It is still an issue today. It may not be an issue with you day to day, or it may be. In fact, you may have been dealing with racial tension in your life, maybe in your very own family. And I want to let you know, as pastor here at Perimeter Road Baptist Church and and truly, feel, I feel strong about this too. Our staff of pastors and having conversations with them would fully agree that we are here. And we do not look at the color of his skin as the value of a man or a woman. And where do we get this from? What makes us different as we live here on this earth is what we see in scripture. And that's why we gather every week together around the word. I've already told you I'm not creative enough to come up with topical sermons throughout the year. But praise God for that, because in my weakness, what God does is he just drives me to his word and says, my son, preach it. And when we look in Galatians chapter 3, 26 through 29, a passage that we looked at in the springtime, I want to bring it to our remembrance once again. And don't we see that in the word often that God says, remember, 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 and how often we forget. But here's what we see in his word. For in Christ Jesus, you're all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. What I want to point out in this passage is that there has been racial tension for thousands of years. And we have our own racial tensions in the context in which we live in day to day. So how are we as the church to respond 
we are to take forth the gospel to every man, to every woman in this community. You have a witness in the place where God has placed you. And carrying forth the gospel means that you use words. You speak the truth of who Jesus Christ is, what he came to do, what he came to accomplish on the cross and what he did accomplish on the cross. It is, it is finished. It is good work. It's done. Nobody has done the good work of Jesus Christ except Jesus Christ. Nobody has done such a good work. And there's no other way of salvation except through him. And so I could be naive and foolish enough to think that this would never be a problem at Perimeter Road Baptist Church. That when in our hearts that we wouldn't have favoritism or hatred towards one another based on a person's skin color. And to take it even further to where maybe as a man that you don't see yourself as better than a woman or a woman to see herself as better than a man. But to keep it within its right context of what I'm alluding to that happened in Charlottesville, Virginia, we ought to take things like this serious and we ought to be deeply concerned and we ought to pray and we ought to act. And you act by the way you treat other people not the way that you treat people just face-to-face, and that is, vi- that is absolutely important. That's what we're talking about, yes, but even the way you treat them when they're not around. In your conversations, your ideology, how you talk to your kids about culture, do you truly value everyone around you as the same? And do you see that the greatest need for every individual is to be a part of Abraham's family, to be a child of God, to be covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, because when you're covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, the only thing that you are concerned about is Christ and that people know him and you'll go to all people. So can I, no, I'm not asking your permission. I will do it. I will tell you that if you, have this attitude in yourself that you are better than someone else due to the color of your skin. This is wrong. It's sinful and it's not honoring to God. And I call you to repent if this is you. I call you to repent. This is happening in your family. This is happening among your friends. The talk that puts down one race over another Call it out on the spot. Do not be silent. Do not be passive when it comes to this. Stand up for others. This is a good gospel work. Christ Jesus came for the world. For the world. And what a beautiful testimony we've heard today from two men who grew up in this area and it wasn't enough just to stay in this area. They had to go to the world and share the good news and they have, they are, and they will continue and we will come right alongside of them and be faithful in our support. But we too must be faithful in spreading the gospel. And so if you look to Christianity as something that was birthed in the United States, you've missed it. If you look to the United States as the chosen people of God, you've missed it. If you think we're more special than what's going on in the Ukraine, you've missed it. If you think you're more special than those who are in the Middle East, and if you see anybody of a Middle Eastern descent, and automatically you look at them and you judge them, you're missing it. We are part of the world. We are a part of the world. And to think that Jesus Christ would love someone like me, that he would die for me, someone who did not love him, someone who did not worship him, 
but worshiped false gods, worshiped myself, worshiped my parents, worshiped the culture. I struggled with racism as a teenager. And to see, and I could go on, and you could go on. You could go on, but he loves you. You have been captured by God's grace. He has gone deep underneath anything you could ever do. He has gone below that, and he has captured you, and he's put you in his hand, and he says, you are mine, and that's your only boast. That's your only boast, Christian. It's nothing of your upbringing. It's nothing of your ethnicity that makes you any more special than anybody else. And so with a heavy heart, I feel that it was only appropriate to deal with this in, in seriousness to say that, you know what? We as a church need to be in prayer today for what's going on. We need to be in serious prayer And you know what? Here's what we cannot do. We cannot put all of our trust and hope in man. You could go throughout the string of all of our presidents and guess what you're going to find? They all fall short of the glory of God. There's not one man that will change this. Where I believe the change comes about is with the church. Just as God called the Apostle Paul and he went forth to the Gentiles and spread the gospel. Aren't you grateful that the gospel didn't just stay in Jerusalem? Aren't you grateful that the gospel extended to the Gentiles? Because when I look out, I see a bunch of Gentiles today. So here's what I'm asking us to do as we close, come to the end part of our service. Is that it would be silent in here, except for those who are praying out loud, if God so leads you to pray out loud. But we're just going to go into a time of, of prayer. No music going on at this time. And you say, man, that's kind of awkward silence. Look, good. Good, because you know what? I think we need a little bit of awkward silence in the church at times. We kind of want to go to the next thing and just keep going. Let's pause. Let's pray. And let's pray for those who, who lost lives this weekend, their families. And let's pray for these who have shown hatred, that even with those with deep hatred in their hearts, that their hearts would be changed by the grace of God. And that they would no longer be captured by sin either. But will we pray for our brothers and sisters? Will we pray for all the wonderful culture that we have here? Different ethnicity of people that gather together. So that when we go from this place, we see that the greatest need that every person has is Jesus Christ. Let's bow together and pray. And as it's silent, if you want to kneel where you are, Uh, If you want to turn around and and kneel, I think kneeling is most appropriate. If you want to sit, wherever God so leads, but let's go into a time of prayer, praying for these in Virginia and throughout our country and truly throughout the world where this continues to be an issue. And let's ask God to intervene through his grace and that the church would be faithful and bold in his witness, in her witness. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that we would be the people that love you more and God, that hate our sin more. The more that we grow in love with Jesus Christ, the more we hate our sin and who we are apart from Christ. 
Father, we pause today to address what we have heard in the news. And, and God, there have been many things that have happened over the years that we've failed to pause and pray. We thank you that today this has been made aware. God, we ask that, Lord, through your grace, through your mercy, that you would bring about salvation. And God, may it start in Charlottesville with people who have hatred in their hearts. As it spreads out from there, Lord, people who have hatred in their hearts, one person to another, capture them by your grace. Lord, may we be faithful in sharing the good news. You are a sovereign God, and you reign. Lord, this does not lead us to be quiet. It leads us to be bold, to be confident, to be most sure that there will be more people who are saved by your grace, and that we have the joy to go forth and to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, may we be a people who have this burning in our hearts that we cannot keep it within, that we must share of this good news. Father, may we be a people that love others, treat others with respect, that are kind, that are gentle. Oh, these attributes of the Spirit that we studied this summer, may they be alive in us, Lord. May it bring about a healing in our communities. Father, where we're not even aware of this, where we're not even bothered by it, Lord, would you awaken us to the great needs around us? Help us to understand where other people come from. We could sit down and, and learn from each other, God. Once again, this has just brought forth the reality of the lostness and sin that's ever around us, Lord, and the devastating impact it has on your creation. So, Father, today, may we have hope, may we have joy, may we have boldness, Lord, may we be confident, and may we be filled with the love of Jesus Christ. And that we would go forth, Lord, to continue to make disciples Continue to love those who are around us. And may this be filled with the great love in which you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.